Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story themes and motifs of a treasured or trash piece of cinema. No trash today because we are talking all treasures, no trash, all the 2022 Best Picture nominees and basically just the Oscars, everyone who's getting awarded. Ooh. Yeah, there, there, there may be some trash. Uh, there's some trash. There's Come a on. little bit of trash. There's a little yeah. trash. Looking, so I printed out the 2023 Oscar ballot from Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. and they do this wonderful little thing where they give you the critic score and the audience score next to the movie that was nominated, and there are a few on here that are rotten, which is interesting that they got nominated, but I think that's, we'll talk about the politics uh, involved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple standouts where... Um, I understand why you're still going to get nominated for a specific category, Mm -hmm. even if uh, it was not the best film overall. Yeah. Yeah. Or or it was a uh, let's just call it a uh, divisive divisive. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, And and so we'll talk a little bit about some of those. Uh, Some of them like got great reviews and I think they're kind of trash. So, you know. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear. But before we do that. Yeah. Wait. No, we're doing that first. And also, we're going to be talking about the Fablemans. Yes, we are talking about (laughs) uh, the last of our four Oscar previews. Uh, We watched the Fablemans, Mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg's Mm -hmm. 2022 semi-autobiographical release Mm -hmm. um, about the history of his family, kind of. Mm -hmm. And uh, you asked very specifically, like, what parts of this story are real? And so we'll get into some of that. Right. We're going to talk about the film and I may be emotionally drained after it's done. Like I may not be able to continue speaking. Forrest had big feelings when we watched this movie. Big feelings. And we're going to talk about like 10% of them. (laughs) We watched watched a movie by Forrest's favorite Favorite director. director, Favorite living director, yes. About his childhood growing up as a film nerd. Uh Uh-huh. So, uh, no, a, a film nerd who is growing up and then goes through the divorce of his two parents. Right. One of whom is a more of a free spirit and one of whom is a computer engineer. So <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going we're gonna, on. We're going to get into we're gonna have a like, therapy like session. A, no, no, we are definitely not. <laughs> Hell no. I'm going to keep everything close to the, the fest here. You know why? Because one, if not both, of my parents listen to this podcast. Half, half of our listeners are related to you. Yes. So <laughs> we're going to keep it real, real close uh, and not get into it too much. But uh, we will talk about the movie. Put feelings and, and, and... and I will just have my feelings. And like I've done for the last uh, 36 <laughs> years, I'll just bottle them right up. All right. All right. That sounds healthy. I'm Let's... 30. I'm 38 years old. So this first two years... <laughs> I was definitely all out there. But after that. You learned. Yeah, I learned how to drink whiskey and it was fine. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> all right, let's 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 get into the Oscars before we do anything else. Let's do it. This coming Sunday, we are going to be watching, a lot of us are going to be watching the 2022 years Oscar celebration yeah always confuses me because yeah. it's the 2023 oscars but That's it's right. for the movies from 2022 but it's like the 93rd ever oscars or something i don't know what is it the 94th 
it's in the 90s we're getting close to 100 that's all you need to know there's gonna be the the largest slap you've ever seen (laughs) at the hundred year celebration i I was going to say we've had some drama (laughs) in recent oscar years for those of you who are like why are the oscars even still on tv well because occasionally will smith comes up on stage and slaps somebody in the face and occasionally that person deserves it i mean yes so look (laughs) (laughs) i don't think it's a good idea to get out of your seat at a major televised event and slap someone in the face. Even if that person insults your wife. There's a difference between words and actions, right? If someone told Cassius that his mama was ugly, you wouldn't say, all right, Cassius, it's cool for you to go and slap that person. You you would just, I don't know. <laughs> you would just say, look, ignore that person. What they say doesn't matter, right? I would say you should rip your father to slap that. <laughs> that's fair <laughs> wait till no one is watching and then have your father slap. no uh, uh yeah look i think we covered this last year yeah is is it okay to slap people for for just words that come out of their mouth no am i going to go do that no but to quote chris rock but i understand sure yeah the 2023 oscars <laughs> <laughs> here is what we're going to do for this right we we don't really need to get into like history of the Oscars. We don't need to go into blah, 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 whatever. We are going to talk about some of the categories and we're going to choose our favorites in said category. Now, we may not have seen all of them, right? So we're going based off of our intuition, based off of our guesses. Um, We will choose in each category that we cover who we think will win, Mm -hmm. but we're also going to cover our favorites. We're just going to talk about the movie we saw in that category that we liked the most. Right, right. Well, so, okay, yeah. So I, I for, for a lot of the categories, I do have, like, here's who I think is going to win, and here's who I would like to win. Yeah. I'm going to have two scores yep. for basically at the end of Oscar night, and uh, I guess we'll give an update <laughs> of which one. Like, my, there will be my official submission of who I think will win. Yeah. And then there will be, like, the, if the world were better yeah. Yeah. version of that. Perfect. I love it. I love yeah. it. So we are not going to go through every uh, Oscar award. We're going to keep the below-the-line stuff Sadly, below the line, uh, we love you, but uh, we have uh, time constraints. Um, and we're going to start with animated feature. So the nominees for best animated feature are Pinocchio by Guillermo del Toro, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, um, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, everyone, you can hear our commentary on The Sea Beast from last year's summer streaming series. That's right, because we only watch high class, uh, <laughs> high class films on this podcast. It was available, and we needed a short episode, <laughs> so we did it. It was not that good. But. Yeah, would you like to start with us? Sure. So my choice, and the the movie that I think will win, but they're one in the same. They're one in the same uh-huh. is Turning Red. Ooh, hmm. I don't think that's gonna. I don't think that's gonna win. Okay. What do you I think? think. I think Pinocchio is going to win. It's. I mean, it's a toss up between those two. Honestly, those are the two that are likely to uh, succeed. I think you're going to have a bunch of people who are going to say like, who are going to say, oh, it's turning red is about periods, though. It's about lady stuff. You know what you're also going to have? A lot of people saying, oh, which movie did Pixar put out this year? Turning red? Great. That that wins. Yeah. People just give it to the Pixar movie. I would like Marcel the Shell with shoes on to win. Sure. Sure. It's a (laughs) cute, adorable movie. Um, I just, uh, I love Jenny Slate. Yep. 
Jenny Slate is amazing. Uh, By the way, if you want to watch a good comedy special on Netflix right now, Jenny Slate has a good comedy special on Netflix. That's right. Or if you want to listen to a, an episode that we did with Jenny Slate in it, then you can go back to when we talked about Obvious Child. Yes. But um, uh, yeah, I, I love Marcel, Marcel the Shell. It's yeah. a little hard to say, but adorable. <laughs> uh, and I heard Puss in Boots was actually quite good. Yeah, I would love to take Cassius to like see Puss in Boots because I think he would love it. It's not in theaters anymore. I don't oh, think, okay. But, um, I, I missed I missed out on it. I think he would love it. Um, but I I think Pinocchio could win. The thing about it is the animation is spectacular. Right. Um. But it's, you know, it's not Pixar and Pixar tends to run the table on this stuff. I think, I think people voting this year are going to be like, it's time to mix it up. And people weren't, Turning Red is the movie that people aren't going to get up in arms over if. If it doesn't win. If it doesn't win. Yeah. Can I just say Mm. Turning Red is a banger. I watched it like three days ago, four days ago for the first time. Yeah. It's so good. Yes. Like it subverts your expectations for what the movie's going to be about. It turns into a kaiju movie in the third act. Like, oh, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good movie. I am actually shocked. And so we're not going to really go into the original song, but I'm kind of shocked that the, they, they Eilish, didn't get I, an original song nod. I was so upset about it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you could have had Billie Eilish show up to the Oscars. Once again, she's going to be there you, again. But what I are mean. you thinking? Like, just just put nominate her. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so original song, what could we have gotten rid of? We could have gotten rid of, um, sorry, well, Rihanna, you got to have her there, I guess. Um, I mean, that's who I think is going to win. Uh, I think it's going to be RRR for Nacho Nacho because it's a banger. But um, like applause for Tell It Like a Woman. Like It's know. it's really weird. Also, like you could have just added another one. There's no like rule. Well, know. there are for, oh. for all of the below the line is five. Yeah. Okay. Well, then you could have just gotten rid of that first one. And yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I think that it's 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 kind of weird, and maybe they just didn't really go after the like campaigning. Yeah, when they needed to, or it's possible. Uh, yeah. You know, it was the movie came out a long time ago. Also, yes, that's true. That is true. Pinocchio was much more recent. So, so, uh, so super strange, but I I do think that like that was a really great song. Yeah, or really great songs. I think they wrote like three songs for the film. Yes, yeah, yeah, and they it's it's funny because. They're emulating a boy band. Mm-hmm. And so they have to be a little cheesy with it. Mm-hmm. But the songs still have like really great hooks. And so it's like, right. they are catchy, even though they're kind of cringy because they're supposed to be in 2000. And they know, capture the 90s yeah. cringe boy band vibes yes. so Incredibly perfectly well. yep. while also making them good songs. Yes. And yep. sort of feel of the moment now while yep. at the same time being nostalgia. Well said. Yep. Totally. Uh, okay, so let's move on to, we'll do adapted screenplay and original screenplay sort of all at once. So for adapted screenplay, we have All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, Living, Top Gun Maverick, and Women Talking. So I would love to see mm. Glass Onion win. Yep, that's the, if, that is the one that I would love to see as well. Because it's a really fun movie. Um, I like Ryan Johnson's work, and it's kind of the only thing it's nominated for. So give it a little little props. Mm-hmm. I believe that Women Talking will win. That's what I had as well. Hey, there we go. I mean, look, I haven't seen Women Talking. I've heard women talking about how wonderful <laughs> it about is. Women talking, yeah. No, just kidding. I've only heard you talking about it. But I do, uh, I, 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 it, it strikes me just as the one that is most likely of this list to be Oscar baby. Yeah. From what I have heard, the novel that it is based off of mm-hmm. seems almost unadaptable. 
Okay. It seems like it is very difficult to take what was written on the page and turn it into a film. Okay. And having watched the film, a lot of people had complaints. They were like, oh, it's it's more of a play than a film. Like, that's ridiculous. Right. It's a film. Um, the actresses in it are giving amazing performances. And the writing of it is incredibly compelling. So I, I think it's going to win. The one that sort of lurks in the background is All Quiet on the Western Front. Because... Yeah well-known novel, well-known film from the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it's a bad adaptation. It oh, actually okay. doesn't carry with it the ethos of the original uh, story of mm-hmm. the, the novel. I'm not saying that because I know, because I never read the novel. Uh, I don't particularly care to read novels about World War One, but this is a pretty much straightforward war picture. Mm-hmm. And that novel was very specific in its tones of isolationism and and loss and loneliness so uh if it wins it would be bad <laughs> okay. all right for original original screenplay we have the banshees of inisharan everything everywhere all at once the fablemans tar and triangle of sadness why don't you start on this one i really only just put down who i think is going to win which i think is the same as who i want to win which is everything everywhere all at once that is uh if if it were to win it mm-hmm. would signal mm-hmm. the Academy is all in on everything everywhere, which it may be. Or at least in this multiverse. <laughs> yeah, at least in this version of the Academy. I said that it is likely. Tar. That, no, no, no. Oh, sorry. I mean, I mean, Tar could, <laughs> tar could very much win. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. It's yeah. a beautifully written script. I think that the Academy is trying to pick and choose mm-hmm. so that all of these movies can end up with something to put on their DVD jacket that says Academy Award winner. Sorry, that's that's from like, what, 13, 15 years ago where I said DVD jacket on their streaming their DVD catalog. Puffer vest. <laughs> yeah, on their streaming catalog, you know, uh, overview, they can say Academy Award winner. And so this is the one I gave to the Banshees of Inisherin. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think that um, any of, like all of these are great nominations with the exception of Triangle of Sadness. Um, but... I, I think Tar is amazing mm-hmm. and incredibly well-written and really hard to crack that element that, that Todd Fields does so well. Um, Fablemans, as we will talk about in a few moments, is is incredible. Everything Everywhere All at Once is wild. Like, how do you write those things down on paper? Right. Well, and that's kind of it, is I, I just, I, I'm actually very curious to read the screenplay for this because how how does this look on paper versus how it's translated yeah what what did it start out with versus where did it end up right and and, and that's its own i mean kind of crazy adaptation i guess right yeah totally um but the reason i went with banshees is because uh martin mcdonough is a playwright mm-hmm. he's a screenwriter he was nominated for three billboards uh, a few years back um and i think the academy loves him and i think that they will We'll give him a little bit of shine um, in this category. And unfortunately, he and the rest of the movie will be coming up short for the rest of the nominations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For actor in a supporting role, Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inisherin, Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Kogan for The Banshees of Inisherin, and Kiwi Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. This one is all but wrapped up. You think so? Yes. Without a doubt, this one is already... The the name is pressed onto the Oscar plate. Why Why do you say that? Well, who do you think it's going to be? Well, I think it's going to be 
Kihui Kwan. Correct. He will win. Why do you say that? He has won every precursor to okay. the Oscar so far. He won the Golden Globe. He won whatever WGAS, um, the SAG Award, the PGA Award for this. Like he has been cleaning up every supporting actor award that he's been nominated for. He has won. He's just he just did such a wonderful job, and his story is also so amazing. And, and that's it. Like, I really just you just want to root for him. Yep. And there are a couple other things about this uh, way the categories split up. Brendan Gleeson and Barry Kogan are nominated for the same film. They both do incredible jobs in said film, but they might split their vote. Okay. Um, Judd Hirsch, who we just saw in The Fablemans, yeah. is in two scenes of that movie. Right. Who was he in the movie? He's the old guy, the, the brother of brother of that mom who dies, what? comes to visit. Do you remember? Yes. No, no, no. Yeah. That guy got nominated. Yeah. He was in there for like 10 minutes. He was very limited, <laughs> but but it was a powerful performance. Like he's great. Judd, I love Judd Hirsch. Oh, he so, was wonderful. Yeah. And so, but, but it's a nice nomination. Right. He will not win for that performance. Right. And Brian Terry Henry is great in every single thing he's ever been in. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one saw Causeway. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of a lost cause. I think Kiwi Kwan will win. Oh, boo. (laughs) How dare you? Uh, I think Kiwi Kwan will win because there is a, the great performance that he put down in that movie. Then also there's just like the meta textual element to it, which is like, it's a great story that he got back into acting with this film, crushed it and wins an Oscar. Absolutely crushed it. Yeah. 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 Probably okay. probably should have been reprising his role this year in uh, the upcoming Indiana Jones Indiana film. Jones film. Uh, what a missed I'm, opportunity. Boy, I don't know if I'm going to see that or not. Anyway, <laughs> we'll get into it, maybe. Uh, <laughs> or not. Or, or it'll just never exist to you, like uh, the non-existent fourth edition of the franchise. I'm sorry, what's, what's that now? Uh, Everything just went white, and I just heard a, a, a high <laughs> screaming pitch in my ears. Folks, there are some things that we do and do not acknowledge in this household, and the crystal skull is one of those what? things. That, what's uh, going on? What's happening? Forrest goes into a there's fugue like state. A, he blacks out. There's a shining light. It's saying, ignore All right, so talking about oh, actor and a, actress in a supporting role. Uh, yes, actress in a supporting role. We have Angela Bassett for the Black Panther Wakanda Forever, mm-hmm. Hong Chow for the whale, but really for the menu. Uh, Carrie Condon in Banshee's Minasheran, Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Sue in Everything Everywhere All at Once. What are your thoughts? Okay. The person I would love to see win is Angela Bassett. Yep. The person who I think is going to win is Jamie Lee Curtis. That seems to be the distinction. I want to shine a little light down on Stephanie Sue. Oh, because sure. Because that performance in that movie was actually more difficult and more impactful in the movie than mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis's performance. Mm-hmm. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. She is amazing. She probably should have gotten nominated for the first Knives Out film, honestly. Mm-hmm. Her performance in that was incredible. Um, but I don't think she's the best supporting actress in this film. Stephanie so. Sue uh, is... Uh was so good. Yeah. And she's, she's been so good in for, for a while. Yeah. Um, I would love to see honestly her, um, Hong Chow or Angela Bassett. I would love to see any one of those women, but I think my, my gut is telling me, and this is the theme of my choices. My gut is telling me the Oscars. So white is going to continue to be a thing. Yeah. Can I give you the breakdown of the precursor awards? Precursor awards? Yeah. Yes. So, for instance, the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. Angela Bassett. 
Okay. The SAG Awards, mm. Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. And then the BAFTAs was, I think, Carrie Condon, but that doesn't really matter because they're British. And so, of course, they went with the person who was closer to them. Right. Um, and so it's really hard to know. And with Angela Bassett and Jamie Lee Curtis, you have two people nominated for roles that, you know, were maybe marginal. Mm-hmm. They did great jobs in them. I'm not saying that, but like mm-hmm. the movies themselves were. It's not like the like linchpin of the whole yeah, film or correct. anything like that. Um, Hence supporting. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But um, they are potentially both up for what you, you kind of consider like the breadth of work award. Right. Right. It's like they did enough over the course of their their tenure in Hollywood to get the nom and like maybe this is what they went for. Right. And I I 100% I think that that is true and then I think that you're going to have a whole bunch of white voters mm-hmm. looking at Angela Bassett and Jamie Lee Curtis and saying Jamie Lee Curtis deserves it though. Maybe. It's very possible. That's you my... might also have a lot of white guilt showing up in the voting where I don't they're think like these people feel guilt. Nah. I mean they gave Parasite a uh, best picture. They gave uh, Moonlight Best Picture, like it's a different academy than it used to be. Mm. I don't know. I'm just saying we'll it see. is interesting. It's something to keep an eye out for. We'll learn a lot about who the current day academy is based off the results of this particular award. We'll see. We'll see. Actor in a leading role. Mm. Austin Butler for Elvis. Okay. Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inishirin. Brendan Fraser for The Whale. Paul Mescal for After Sun and Bill Nye for Living. Okay, quick thing. Bill Nye will not play a role in this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no one had seen that movie. He's a lovely actor. I really like him. I've not seen that movie nor heard anyone talk about it. So it's not interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, so you're saying Bill Nye quickly, but we're not talking about Bill Nye the science guy. It is not Bill Nye the science guy. It is Bill Nye the actor guy. Bill Nye? Is that right? What? Because there's a Y oh, a, at the end of his name. Yeah, just Nye. What? It's British. Just you just gotta lump all those word all those letters together. Bill Nye. Nye. No. <laughs> Don't say all the letters. Bill Nighy. Okay, we're gonna stop doing that. So what is the who who would you choose for uh your preference? <sighs> I, you know, I don't really have a preference here. I haven't really seen these films. So I, like, I, I think that Elvis is going to, I think Austin Butler is going to win. Um, and that's fine. He did a fine job. I think that it's going to come down to Austin Butler, Colin Farrell, Brendan Fraser. Um, Brendan Fraser seems lovely. Colin Farrell, I think seems like he has been doing, did a really great job. Uh, I'd be fine with either of them winning, but I think it's just going to be Austin Butler. It seems like it might be Austin Butler. Mm. My preference is Colin Farrell. Yes. uh, Because I represent my Irish fellas. (laughs) Um, I also love Brendan Fraser. This movie is apparently not great. Okay. Um, I have not seen it, so I will not uh, cast dispersions on this movie. I, I... I've heard a lot of people whose opinions I respect say no good, very bad, but I don't know that. I have no idea. Right. And so, and, and even if it is, that doesn't mean his performance is bad. He may have a very good performance in a, in a role that saves the movie in terms of watchability. So I would love it if an actor who had a supporting cameo in the TV show Scrubs won an Academy Award. Would love it. 
Well, that's Brendan Fraser and, and Colin, Colin Farrell. Farrell. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that is the point I'm getting across here. Oh, okay. Give it to one of those two people <laughs> for the love of God, please. Because if it's Austin Butler, what we're doing is going back to the giving awards to people who can do good impersonations of famous musicians. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be back in that world of 2004 and 2005. I mean, unless you can remove the gray hairs from my head, I don't want to go back to that. So please let it not be Austin Butler. It is going to be Austin Butler. It's going to be Austin Butler. I think think that's right. Well, speaking of stellar performances and otherwise potentially mediocre films, uh, actress in a leading role. Yes. Got one of those. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kate Blanchett in Tar. Anna de Armas in Blonde. Andrea Riceboro in Two Leslie. Michelle Williams in The Fablemans. And Michelle Yeoh in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Can we both say at the same time who we want to win this award? Michelle, Michelle Yeoh. Yeoh. Of course. Uh, so many people. It's so strange that so many people are like, Kiwi Kwan really is the person who is like tying this film together, mm-hmm. et cetera. No, no, no. This movie does not exist without Michelle Yeoh's performance mm-hmm. as that character in that role. Now, there she may be suffering a bit from this sort of trend in like movies over the past two years of like the overbearing Asian mother, <laughs> mm-hmm. like not communicating with her daughter or or son or whatever, and like that being the central conflict. Like right. turning red did the same thing. Right. Uh, there was uh, I forget another one. Like Luca does the same thing. I just watched that movie on. Uh, the Although Pixar that's movie. not a Asian mother. No, it's not Asian mother. It's Italian mother. Italian yeah. sea monster to be specific. Yeah. But the point is, like that conflict has been a big part of films, and she may have been like in the the later stages of that. And so I wonder if some of that is like become repetitive, where people aren't responding to it the same way. Hmm. That being said. She kills it. Like there's like I, who who else could you put in that role? No one. She no, she absolutely crushes it. And uh I would love again, if we're talking about like a body of work yep. award, she deserves it so much. Yeah. And I would love to see that actually being given to a person who truly does deserve it. And not to say that Kate Blanchett doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. And I've heard amazing things about Tar. Um, but doesn't she already have a, an award or two? She's got two awards. It's, it's, uh, let it go. Yeah. So, so here's the problem, right? It's, it is as though, like if you were playing basketball, right. And, mm. and, uh, Michelle, uh, yo played for the Knicks and she put up 45 points, mm-hmm. but it was on the night that Kobe Bryant put up 81. It's like, everybody's like, damn, man, like you did, you did the thing. But Kobe put up 81. Like, I don't know what, like, yeah, you should have just picked up another night and everybody would be talking about you. And what Kate Blanchett does in Tar Mm -hmm. is is that level of, like, fucking acting. It's just like, it's it's putting up numbers. So the difference is, Mm -hmm. here's the only difference. Tar, two hours and 40 minutes long, didn't get a huge theatrical release. Didn't see a bunch of numbers until lately on Peacock, just released on Peacock. Everything Everywhere has been... It was a hit in theaters, box office success, hit on VOD, hit on streaming. Like it's been around and been doing numbers for a while. So the question is like, 
does the business actually overdo the art or whatever? You know what I mean? Like more people have seen Michelle Yeoh in this movie. I mean, have seen Kate Blanchett and Tar. Maybe, but I feel like Tar has had such a huge cult following already. Yeah, from people that I've just like heard talk about it in podcasts. Like I have to watch this film. Uh, yeah. But I, I feel like there has been a lot of buzz from the people that matter. Like it doesn't actually really matter if every single person has seen a film or not. Because they're not voting. Yeah. Because they're yeah. not voting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. just have it's the true. people who mattered been convinced to see the film or gone out yeah. to see the film. And I think that Tar has gotten huge, uh, just huge buzz yeah. and word of mouth from like you know, tastemakers yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, here's what I'll say. Uh, regardless of what happens in this role, Criterion Channel right now has a Michelle Yeoh like um, a collection Mm -hmm. includes like Crouching Tiger. It includes Super Cop and a bunch of other films that she's made. Um, Like go get your free trial to Criterion and just blaze through all the Michelle Yeoh stuff because she is incredible. And I'm not like, uh, I don't know, like it, it is it is wild to just look at the history of her career in sort of a, a playlist and just be like, oh, man, this is incredible. Like the stuff that she has done for just 40, 50 years that we have missed because it's not like, you know, popularized in American cinema. Right. It's like, it's so, so cool. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's my that's my uh, takeaway. All right. Uh, I think and it'll I think it'll be Cable and Chip, but I, I hope it's Michelle. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing to note also really quickly before we move on is that performance that is nominated by for Ana de Armas yeah. in Blonde. That was the one that we were referencing as being uh, <laughs> uh, what, 42%? 42% by critics, 32% by audiences. Ooh. Ooh. It is not a good movie. Um, it is available on Netflix, so I guess watch it if you want to see what all the hubbub is about. But like, I think it's just like her agent had good publicity, which is another thing to talk about here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Andrea uh, Riceborough. Yeah. So there's a little bit of shenanigans going on here. Um, her team or someone associated with her, maybe her management. I think it was just her. I, I, I don't know if it was just her. I think I heard it was her management. Okay, um, but. They basically like contacted all of these celebrities to be like, hey, Andrea Riceboro did this movie and we want you to like pump it up on Twitter. And we're going to do like a bunch of like, quote unquote, like against the rules screenings, which aren't really screenings of the movie, but we're just like parties they threw for celebrities mm-hmm. to get them to like talk about the movie and her performance specifically. And all they did was focus their intent on like driving her credibility for the Golden Globes, the Academy Awards, like all of these screenings. I haven't seen the movie because nobody's seen the movie. It's like this tiny little independent film. Right. But they just pulled some shenanigans and it seemed to work. They got enough people to vote for her so that she made the shortlist for um, for actress in a leading role. I heard that it was her who is personally friends with a lot of people who she like reached out and was like, hey, can you just talk about this on Twitter? Bud that I did a movie with. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Why not? I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. I'll right. Just I'm tweet Edward this Norton. out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, uh, whatever. Like, uh, they're her friends. If you yeah. have that sway, I, I'm I'm on the fence about whether I think that that's a bad thing or not. It's it's certainly different. Yeah. There's no official rule against it. Yeah. Well, uh, she will not win. But that, that you know, she the fact that she got nominated proves that this strategy does perhaps work. The most interesting thing to come out of this will be what rule changes they have around campaigning next year. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so very quickly, because we're running long. Yeah. Uh, directing, we have Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inishirin, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart, a.k.a. The Daniels, mm-hmm. for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Oslin for Triangle of Sadness. Mm-hmm. Who's your pick? And who's... I think uh, I think Todd Feld for Tar is going to win. Okay. I, I was originally thinking maybe it was going to be Spielberg, but I just don't think, like, I, I, I think that it's going to be Tar. Okay, it may be the case mm. that I am selecting this based off of recency bias. Yes. So please keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. I think Steven Spielberg should win, and I think he will win. Okay. This movie is such a punctuation on his career. I think that the Academy will see it and say, oh, damn. Oh, damn. Now, if it's Tar, I'm not surprised. That's a beautifully directed movie. Right. Only one person could have made that movie, so... I get it. Right. But there's a, there's, you know what? Now that I say it out loud, Spielberg has been nominated for best director, like what? 11 times and mm-hmm. won once. Mm-hmm. <sighs> They're going to rob him again, aren't they? I think it's going to be tar. Damn it. All right. Okay. Yeah. You've convinced me. Right. <laughs> it should be, it should be Spielberg, but it's going to be tar. All right. Uh, and for best picture here, we have, what we're going to do is mm. we're going to, mm. Say who we think is going to win. Mm-hmm. This is actually the the most going to happen thing already in the Oscars. We already know who's going to win. Um, and then we'll talk about our order. Wait, what do you mean we already know who's going to win? I will tell you in a moment. <gasps> the nominees for Best Picture are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. Who do you think will be the winner? I think Tar is going to take it. Everything Everywhere All at Once is my choice and will be the winner. Well, it's my choice. It's who I would love to no, win. No, no, I, I don't think that, that it should win. But anyway, the the reason uh-huh. it will win yeah. is because no film has ever not won the Academy Award if it won the BAFTA, the SAG Award, the WGA Award, the PGA Award, and the Golden Globe. And this film won all of those. Mm. It has won every single precursor that leads up to the Oscar. The only film to ever win all of those awards with the exception of the WGA and not win Best Picture was Apollo 13. It's going to win. It's it's already the case that Everything Everywhere All at Once is going to be the Best Picture winner for this year. Lock it in. Put your money on it. I think it's going to be Tar. It's not going to be Tar. <laughs> I mean, if it were Tar, that'd be interesting, but uh, it's not going to be Tar. That said, do you have, you haven't seen all of them, so. I, yeah, I've seen six of the 10. My, my bottom of the six. Yeah. Is Elvis. Okay. Yep. Least favorite. Uh, I don't, I, yeah, we already talked about that no, no last week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want me to just go straight through? Yeah, or yeah, you yeah. Gonna, you'd want to do yours. No, go ahead. Go straight all through. All right. Uh, number five for me is Avatar Way of Water. Okay. And it was down there. I mean, it was fine. I understand why it's nominated. but You're mad is, about the whale. No, I just don't think that it's the quality of film to be like an Oscar. It's just kind of not great. Okay. I will get there in a second. Go ahead. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. It's the precursor to a bunch of fine movies that are going to come out that we're all going to have to go see because they're going to only look good on the big screen. Triangle of Sadness is above that. And then top three are Fablemans. And then, ooh, it it was so close between Top Gun and everything everywhere all at once and i i still am ha- i mean it's it's it like my favorite between the two it literally just comes down to like what am i feeling mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. day yep Tr- truly like yep, what 100%. do i feel what do i feel that day totally in that moment yep, on yep. the day uh, on the day to day it's it's top gun yep 
but on the day of the Oscars, my favorite's going to be everything everywhere all at once. Right I on. think that's fair. I, I, I love that breakdown. That is very similar to the decision I had to make in my list. Okay. And for me, number 10, triangle of sadness. Number nine, all quiet on the Western front. Number eight, Elvis. Number seven, women talking. Number six, avatar, the way of water. Now, Here's why Avatar The Way of Water is number six rather than higher up in the list. Mm. Because unless you can watch it on a wonderful screen in a 3D equipped Dolby Cinema movie theater, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be as good. Something interesting. you You can watch the third act, like the third hour of the movie, and it's like incredibly well done action, incredibly interesting family dynamics, all that stuff. It's like it's really well done movie making. And then you take it out of the 3D theater and put it on a 2D screen. I literally have no idea how it's going to play. And so without without that knowledge, with that ambiguity, I can't put it any higher than six. So number five, Tar. Number four, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Number three, Top Gun Maverick. So I put Top Gun above Everything Everywhere All at Once mm-hmm. because I think I will rewatch Top Gun yeah. more frequently than I will Everything Everywhere. I absolutely, 100%. Uh, agree with that. Yeah. That being said, I need to rewatch everything everywhere. So this could change. Could flux. I yeah. Uh, number two. <sighs> oh God. I don't know where to go with this. Um, I said I was going to make up my mind in the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I'm going to do this. This was my favorite movie for the entirety of last year. Um, it is very much my speed of both filmmaking, storytelling, acting, and production design. The sweaters in this movie were incredible. But number two is the Banshees of Inisherin. Number one is the Fablemans. All right, gotcha. And with that, let's go into the Fablemans briefly, <laughs> I guess, uh, and talk about Steven Spielberg's latest magnum opus, the uh, the autobiographical film about his growing up. Uh, as the the son of divorced parents, yeah, and as a kid who was obsessed with movie making, yeah, yeah, I um, I really enjoyed it. I think that this is a good film to talk about when we're talking about the Oscars for a couple different reasons. I mean, it is the culmination of it's very meta, right? Yeah, the culmination yeah, yeah. of an actual person who is in film and like what they want to say about their career, probably toward the closer toward the end of yeah. their very long, amazing career. Yeah. Right? And, and and what Spielberg said uh, in the interviews, he was basically saying, what story would I feel um, I had left on the table? I would feel bad about not telling it mm-hmm. if I didn't get around to telling it. And this is the one. He said, this is the story of my uh, love of film, but also my struggle with my parents. I, I think that leave it up to a director the director to say look someone's gonna make a biopic about me (laughs) may as well be me well in 2017 they made a documentary about him and his family right but if if someone's gonna like make a movie yeah about steven spielberg may as well may as well do that himself and then he can focus on the things that he think are things are the most i think important or formative for him yes rather than going into the thing that we hate in biopics, which is just a rote rundown of bullet points from a Wikipedia page. Yeah. Yep. That's right. 
You know, this is everything that a biopic should be. Yes. Thank you for that. Yes. And and Elvis is everything that it should not be. Bringing that back to the, like, music biopics is exactly right. Like, that's really astute because you're you're spot on. Like, this is the thing that's like, what I want to see is not necessarily the kid's name is Steven and his dad's name is Arnold or whatever. I don't care about that. I care about how are the feelings and then give me a character that you can examine through the lens of those feelings that relates to every audience you know right or or even like look it, if you're gonna do a biopic about elvis yeah it's okay it's okay to just focus on like one part of his life yeah right and to just say like this part of his life where he grew up in this whatever thing like this is the thing that made him who he is or right. this little vignette of his life and we don't have to do the expansive you know wide shot or having to hit every single moment and beat um yeah. it, it it does it doesn't have to be that but we we fall into that trap a lot of times or directors or like writers fall into that trap and i think that he does such a great job of breaking free of that expectation and maybe part of it is because he he doesn't name the kid steven Right. You know. He's named Sam or Sammy mm-hmm. in this film. Steve or Stevie. Yeah, that's right. I was like, <laughs> did people call you Stevie? And at a certain point you got tired of it. it yeah. yeah. Um, so there are two running through lines in this film. The first is the character Sam or Sammy's association with film. The movie actually starts out with him going to his first movie, The Greatest Show on Earth, a Cecil B. DeMille uh, film where he is enraptured by a train crash. That's right. It's like, I don't know how this happened. This is wild. Can't get it out of his mind. Yeah. I do love that they started it out, though, and it felt very... We both had the thought of it felt very much like the beginning of every Batman movie. Yeah, it's like... Where he's just standing outside the film with his two parents. Yeah, he's standing outside of a building in the 50s with his parents. Like, it's like, oh, they're going to get shot. He's going to become Batman. (laughs) Oh, man, the Joker's coming up any moment now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But the thing that was clear from the start, from the very beginning of this movie, Mm -hmm. is the relationship between him and his parents and his parents between each other. In that first scene, he is nervous and afraid to go into the theater. He's like, you said the people are huge, right? Mm -hmm. So there's going to be giant people inside of here? They're like, no, 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 they just look big because of the way it's projected. And he's like, but it's going to be scary. And they're like, no, 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 it's going to be scary. Like, whatever. But the way it's portrayed is... Paul Dano, who plays uh, the father in this in the in the film, um, whose name I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, his real dad's name is uh, Arnold Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Dano's character gets down on one knee. And he's like, "Let me explain to you the technology behind putting these pictures on the screen." I'll, you know, they have a little bit of film. It runs between a light. The light casts shadows on a thing. Um, and the mom, played by Michelle Williams, it, uh, Mitzi, is behind. Sammy's character and it's just like and there are elephants and it's gonna be so exciting she's like talking about the artistry of it and like the fact that it could be this you know transformative event right not I, like explaining it through science I but you know what is funny though is that that he does very much a pro so Paul Dano's uh character is named Bert ah okay yep. and uh so so Bert speaks to uh his son very much in the way that you talk to Cassius. Okay, so we're going to touch on that a little bit. Yep. Um, which is not a, in, in any way a bad thing, right? It's just like, it's just like a, a wonder about technology and wanting to pass that love on to his son. 
Um, and just, it's, it, it's, it very much reminds me of that also a lot of times you like to filibuster if Cassius is like feeling a lot of stuff, you're sort of like, I'm just going to keep talking and if I uh, keep talking, gonna get, I can distract <laughs> We're going to get through this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, from, from John and then, and then you get the very Spielberg-y shot of they're in the movie theater mm-hmm. and you see what's on the screen, but then you also cut back to the family and young Sammy is there. Uh, just enraptured by the screen, right. like so enthralled in what's going on, and the parents like kind of look over and see what's what's happening. That sets the stage for the two uh, narratives that are that are going through. So as the film goes on, uh, Sammy and his family will move from New Jersey to Arizona, and then from Arizona to California, um, and he will grow in his interest and his ability to be a filmmaker. Yeah. So he starts out with a tiny little handheld eight millimeter camera. My favorite part of this movie is just the shots of them editing on film. Like, it's beautiful. I miss that tactile feeling. Like, I was one of the last classes mm-hmm. to do sight and sound in uh, at NYU and be able to cut on a Steenbeck, which yeah. is a big reel-to-reel uh, film machine where you splice the film with a razor blade and tape it together with physical tape. Mm-hmm. Like... Shit was awesome, and I it's it's it, it, this movie like captured that part of my nostalgia for that thing, which I barely got to experience, right. but is so lovely. Um, it, we are really like the millennial generation really is just like at the cusp of so many sort of dying technologies and arts. I, sure, yeah. you know, when I was in college, I took a photography class, and we used actual film cameras, and I developed photographs in dark rooms, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's just something that like, you just, I'm, I'm positive that they don't do anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, a hundred percent. It's all digital. It's all into a hard drive and then cut on a, a computer, which fine. Like it, it, it improves the access to it to a lot of people. Right. It improves the, uh, the ease of use and stuff, but like. It has its own benefits for yeah. sure. But, but like when, when you say burn, something on Photoshop. We were actually doing that right. with the light yeah. in the darkroom. That's right. That's right. We saw young Sammy go into the theater, see the trains, and then be interested in like how they did that. Mm-hmm. His dad buys him a train set so he can explain like how these things works. And obviously his dad in this movie is like a technologist or a computer uh, engineer. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, oh, great. This train thing is like something you can learn from and get interested in. And what he wants to do is crash it. And then like, he wants to be able to explain what happened on the movie in real life. How do you create something like that? Right. But his mother also discovers that like, he's also trying to feel reconcile his feelings that he felt while watching the film. That's right. That's right. You know, it's it's not just about like explanation, but it's about exploration of the, the fear or the, you know, the, the feelings that he just couldn't quite wrap his brain around as he was watching it. Yep. Yep. And, and so, you're given this dichotomy between the mother who's trying to account for his feeling nature and the father who's trying to account for his practical nature. And the, the, the result is Spielberg, or I'm sorry, young Sammy, Mm. uh, (laughs) like crashes the train and gets in trouble because he was up late at night doing it. Right. Um, and, and this is the part of the movie that hit me, uh, the hardest. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, the dad, Paul Dano's character is, is telling him, like, you can't crash this. Like, it's not a toy. And Spielberg is so good at presenting things from a child's perspective. 
And as Paul Dano leaves the room, he turns around and the line he says is, maybe we can play with them together this weekend. With the indication that that is something said to placate a child Mm -hmm. who is uh, interested and invested in something, trying to explore his own way through the world. Mm -hmm. And he is tamping that down, trying to, to, you know, keep it from him. Mm -hmm. And I was sobbing (laughs) on the couch, literally. you're getting teary now. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna cut that out. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's, it, it was so much of the movie is about Spielberg's experience as a kid growing up in this house. But that moment spoke to me as a dad and movies that can do kind of both are hitting me in like a very specific spot. Right. So, uh, there you go. So, yeah, I think, no, I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said about maybe it's just like the nature of a lot of, maybe it's the nature of a lot of families that have like a, like the heterosexual, like cis families, right. Where you, you have like the dads who a lot of times maybe fall into the role of like uh, doing the more like technological or the, like the more like explanatory type stuff. And then you have like the moms that will fall into the role of, of tapping into feelings or art or beauty or, you know, things that are not necessarily um, explained by yeah. numbers and, and, and everything. And I, I think that um, it's not surprising that it's hitting you on, on several different levels, right? Because it's definitely, I think, something that is itself very probably universal for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing I think is, uh, by the way, the, the next uh, comment that I wrote in my notes mm-hmm. after that, after writing that quote down was, I'm not emotionally ready for this movie. Oh no. <laughs> so, um, the, the other thing that's interesting about that is this movie, um, does something I think for maybe, maybe not so much Spielberg's generation, but for, at least for our generation is, um, you know, we have this language around love stories, mm-hmm. especially in movies, right? Love stories kind of happen oftentimes the same ways, or at least have echoes of each other inside of every movie. And what this is saying is that the falling out of love or the divorce story Mm -hmm. is actually very similar in this way. There are connections that even if you're a, you know, Jewish kid from New Jersey who grew up in Arizona and moved to California, Mm -hmm. your story of your parents falling apart is something that people in wherever, Florida, North Carolina, whatever, will see traces of in their own experience. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of like that stuff is universal. And and I was listening to uh, the Blank Check podcast about the Fablemans. And it's funny because like the the guy who, um, one of the the hosts, uh, uh, the son of my former professor, Peter Newman, uh, his name's Griffin Newman. He uh, says like, this movie feels like it was made for me. Mm-hmm. Hyper targeted to my specific <laughs> understanding of the world, right? And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not Jewish, so it's not wasn't made like specifically for me. But the the stuff with the parents, the stuff with like how you handle a household like that, mm-hmm. feels like it was made in a way specifically to target me. And that is the the genius mm-hmm. of Spielberg. Like this is what he has made a forty or fifty year career out of doing. Right. It is figuring out how to take the specific and make those emotions resonate for everyone who watches it, mm-hmm. 
kind of regardless of their personal background. It's like finding the thing in someone's background that you can use to pull them into the movie. Right. He, there's there's no one better. Like there's literally no one better at doing that than Steven Spielberg. So yeah, felt it felt it very clearly in this movie. Shortly after all of that, they moved to Arizona. Uh, his dad gets hired by General Electric. He apparently put twice as many bulbs in a computer or something. <laughs> and so they move out to Arizona. Um, he's still into the movies. He starts editing in his room. And there is one thing that's uh, an interesting point is um, his dad buys him an editing machine. But it's specifically with like uh, transactional nature. Right. So do you remember the, this part of the plot where they had gone camping Mm-hmm. young Sammy films all the stuff in his thing. Oh, right. And he really wants an editing machine to put it together. And his dad buys him he one. He says, I got you a present. Now here's a chore. Yeah, he's like, I got you a present. <laughs> now make this movie for your mom. Ignore the thing that you had planned already. Mm-hmm. Do this so that we can make your mom happy. Uh-huh. Uh, and I thought that was um, uh, relevant to the relationship between uh, the son and father in the film. Yeah. And it was also the way that he treats the, the dad in the movie treats filmmaking as a hobby. One that is, or ha- something has no weight that it, if, if you're going to do it, it may as well have a utilitarian purpose. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Like there needs to be there an to be outcome out- that output. I approve yep. of. That's Not right. even like an output that like, cause he's, he has output, right. But it has to have a, an output that I deem worthy. That's right. That's right. And and so the reason that he does that is um, the the mother Mitzi uh, Mitzi's mom Sammy's grandmother mm-hmm. passed away, and she was distraught. She was in mourning, um, and so you know uh, Paul Dano's character is like, fix it, <laughs> right? Um, and and in that time, this is when we get Judd Hirsch's performance. So Mitzi's uncle mm-hmm. shows up. He's there for two scenes. Basically, shows up for dinner, uh, and is there that night mm-hmm. and then leaves the next morning. And in that amount of time gets himself a lovely little supporting actor nomination. Right. Right. Um, but he is great. He, he's, he's lovely in those scenes. Um, he, the one thing that I noticed is that early on in the film, uh, we are exposed to the fact that Michelle Williams character, Mitzi, uh, cleans the table by putting down a disposable, <laughs> Uh, tablecloth right and then having everyone throw their food into the middle of the table mm-hmm. and she just like picks it up and tosses it in the trash i yeah i and i was like oh i guess this must be a special occasion that she's doing this and i i, I think the implication is this is just every this night is just every night yep where is their cabinet where's their cupboard full of disposable right. tablecloth and cutlery right and <laughs> sh- and so uh in the beginning of the movie the uh paul dano's character's mother mm-hmm. um doesn't just like toss her stuff into the middle. She like picks her plate up and they move everything out from under it and she sets it down and she continues to eat. In this scene with Judd Hirsch, he does the same thing. Mm-hmm. He lifts his plate up, he sets it down. And so it's like this connection to like this old school mindset. This like, I am this kind of person. I don't deal with, I'm not modern, right? Mm-hmm. I am a representative of how we expect things to have been. And so I, I loved it. I thought it was great. A little detail, it's like a little touch that like, obviously the director was like, this is going to mean something. And so it's just a little, little detail. I'm throwing it in there. Mm-hmm. Love it. The question for you is what did you think of the performances from Paul Dano and Michelle Williams? Michelle Williams was standout. 
Yeah. She was so good. She, she was, she was so fantastic. And I don't, um, I need to see more things with her in it. Mm, you should see Brokeback. I should. I know. So good. Um, and I thought she was fantastic. I thought that Paul Dano was good. I thought that he was very good. And yeah. and I think that he brings um he, he brings something to this character that I, I don't know that a lot of other actors necessarily could have. But yeah. I think that Michelle Williams was just like I a hundred percent see why she was nominated. And it's kind of to the point that you were talking about before, which is like she put up 40 points, but she's against <laughs> two people, I think, that put up like 70 points. Right, right, right. You right. know, and yeah. it's it. I just think that that's that's really what it comes down. Like she does an amazing performance, and if it were a different year, then I I would I would say absolutely. But she's just against two people who I think are more likely who who just did amazing things. Yeah, you know. Yep. But yeah, she she was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. the The thing I noticed in the film was a lot of times, and I I, I was going to make some grand statement like in every scene this is the case. I don't mm. think that's true, but um, they are often facing opposite directions in the scenes that they're in together. They, oh, the parents. Paul Dano and, and Michelle Williams, yeah. yeah. And it's it's clearly a visual statement of they are not heading in the same direction together, right? Mm-hmm. They are in conflict con- like consistently. Right. The scene that I think was the most striking version of this was she is at the piano playing. Paul mm-hmm. Dano is sitting there listening to her play. Mm-hmm. They are, it, it would seem as though they are looking towards each other but she's focused on the piano. He's kind of looking past her. And at the same time, this is intercut with a young Sam, Sammy, uh, editing together their camping vacation uh, footage mm-hmm. and discovering that uh, the the mom, Mitzi, has been having uh intimate it- relationship of some sort, not sexually, but at least interpersonally, with uh, Benny, who is a friend of the father, played by Seth Rogen. Right. Who is a grown-up now? Seth Rogen is? So Seth Rogen is a grown-up. He is. He's a grown person. He grew up. He's not yeah. like a 20-year-old stoner some, suddenly. Right. He's like a 50-year-old stoner. Right. <laughs> um, but no, he, he, was, he was quite good in this as well. Um, Great job. Yeah. yeah. And so to answer one of your initial questions about okay. how real this movie was. Okay. Uh, if you're asking, did Spielberg's mother fall in love with his father's best friend? The answer is yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Michelle Williams falls in love with Benny. Her real life counterpart, so Steven Spielberg's mother, Leah Adler, uh, left her husband, Arnold Spielberg, for one of his best friends, Bernie Adler. Oh, no. Yeah. Not doing a lot with the name changes, but yeah, that's that's how it went. And also, um, Arnold Spielberg told the kids that it was his fault, that he was the one who left. Mm. Not that it was the mom. So he said, I figured I could be hurt less than she. Yeah. Interesting dynamic and and like definitely true to real life. I, I do wonder again, like what's the level of detail at which this is like remains true Yeah. versus where it sort of like veers or, or whatever. But, but you know what though? I don't wonder any more than I wondered when watching Elvis. Right. <laughs> well, so do you, do you want to know some more things that are true in real life that were depicted in the film? Yeah. Let's okay. hear it. So, uh, Steven Spielberg told the New York Times uh, chief critic, A.O. Scott, that uh, he did, in fact, have a revelation about his mother's relationship with uh, Benny slash Bernie um, from watching footage of a trip they took. 
Mm-hmm. Like he actually found out the same way that he found out in the film. I feel like there are a lot of moments in this film that feel so hyper specific. They had to have come from real yeah. life, almost like directly or very close to it. I think like that moment of her being on the tree. Yeah, that's yeah, flying yeah. back and forth. I want to see the Actual original footage, home yeah. video. Yeah. I want to see the home video. I want to compare it. Um, you can't plagiarize yourself, yeah. I guess, right? Um, if he's just copying that off of what happened, what he actually filmed originally. Um, I think that, I think the monkey was a real monkey. Real monkey. Yes, it was. So, Because uh, that's a super weird thing to just come up with. Yep. Leah Adler said <laughs> in the HBO documentary entitled Spielberg yeah. that she had been visiting a pet store in Phoenix when she saw a monkey that was depressed after being separated from its mother. She brought it home in the back of her Jeep and adopted it as a household pet for her four children. Yep. My father had a monkey. Didn't know that. My father had a spider monkey. Okay. In... The 1960s. We should not tell Cassius there's something called a spider monkey. <laughs> and he named it Christopher Columbus. Oh, no. <laughs> then named his son Christopher. Yeah. A great explorer. Uh, no, just kidding. Terrible person. Rapist, evil, genocidal maniac. Uh, sure. But the monkey was probably fine. The monkey was probably fine. I, I don't know. Um, but but yes, uh, I think that it was just a lot easier to own a monkey back in the 60s. Yeah, that's probably true. That's a, lot, probably, a lot of things go. I mean, if she was just driving by a pet store and she's like, I'm going to get this monkey. Yeah. Well, and, and like my dad also had one. It probably it was just like, did your parents say yes? Yeah. Did your dad sell the monkey to Steven Spielberg's mom? <laughs> <laughs> they were in Coral Gables, Florida. Sure. So probably not. Right. So Spielberg's mother was was, in fact, a concert pianist, mm-hmm. as she is depicted in this film. She studied at the Music Conservatory in Cincinnati, but she put her career on hold to raise a family. I feel ya. I feel ya, yeah. Mitzi. Yeah, sure. After the sort of discovery of the affair by Sammy, uh, the dad gets a job offer at IBM in California and decides to move the family there. This causes a Great Depression and, uh, sorry, not Great Depression like the actual era. I but was like, like this, does not really, lead, this does not lead to the no, Great Depression. A really that was the big stock depression, market. Sad, sadness <laughs> inside of Mitzi, uh, the mother. Yeah. And this is where they decide to separate and she wants to move back to Arizona where then she eventually... Uh, does uh, in real life anywhere marries Bernie right um and but they, they moved to California she gets the monkey she decides to name it Bernie or mm-hmm. Benny sorry whatever whichever Benny. one whichever one and uh they're like oh that's weird um so yeah this is over um anyway. also why would you name your monkey that's like terrorizing the household somebody like that you like that you care about yeah um but the at this moment when they they expose the divorce to the kids mm-hmm. like so it's it's uh sammy doesn't really say much but the sisters basically say everything that a kid would want to say yes. to their kid to their parents when they're getting a divorce yes which felt very cathartic in on unlike the part of the filmmaker mm-hmm. um and so was that was that was cool i was like yeah get them <laughs> <laughs> um and then um, this is where we actually start to see now what becomes more of like a coming of age high school story. Like we actually move away from some of the parental stuff and we start to see Sammy in high school where he is the only Jewish boy. Mm-hmm. He kind of gets picked on by some of the, not kind of gets well, picked on actively terrorized, terrorized yeah. by these Hitler youth yeah. burgeoning neo Nazis yes. that 
are probably voting today and we know who they're voting for. Yeah. And so they're, they're bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, one of them punches him in the nose, gives him a bloody nose. That happened in real life. Um, he said he got beat up several times. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that he felt like he was probably not the only Jewish person at his school, but he definitely felt like he was. It's unclear whether he actually dated a Christian girl in high school. Right. They, the, the Los Angeles Times said it was based on a person he dated in seventh grade, but Steven Spielberg has not confirmed that. Yeah. I mean, you got to imagine that he doesn't want to like. He, Blow up he, right spot. He, yeah. he, he reveals a lot of things about this maybe relationship yeah. that maybe this woman doesn't want uh, her grandkids to know about. Yes. In the movie, he is, uh, you know, threatened, uh, abused. But uh, his his little Christian girlfriend uh, says or nominates him for the person to film their like senior skip day, which is like where all the seniors go out and hang out at the beach. Mm-hmm. And they so, have a poster for that up in the hallway yeah, before he got like that, beat up or whatever. Yeah. And so he uh, he agrees because he just wants to spend time with her and he gets all this great footage and edits it together and presents it at the day of the the prom, I guess, is what it was, right? And he also, like, <laughs> unwisely proposes uh, marriage to this uh, <laughs> teenage girl who's like, I can't marry a Jewish guy. Like, it's the 60s or whatever. Um, and and so they end up breaking up. He's very distraught. But the movie comes out incredibly well. Um, everyone loves it. And he paints this, like, guy who was tormenting him as the big hero in the film, which uh, they have a come-to-Jesus moment. No pun intended. So going back really quickly yeah. to where he proposes to the girlfriend, uh, the the quote that I, I wrote down from this is, I'm not going to change my whole life and move to Hollywood because your parents are having marital difficulties. And I was shocked. I was shocked at how much smarter this girl is <laughs> <laughs> Sure. than they portray her earlier on. Sure. And yeah, they portray her as a little loony, like oscillating back and forth between kind of pious a religious religiosity nut. and then like sexual uh, burgeoning, like high schooler. Right, right. And I think maybe Spielberg is just using her as like the voice of reason in this moment. Yeah. Where she's just, she she is, at least in this little monologue, wise yeah. beyond her years when she's just like, yeah. no. It's also like she's, she's doing it uh, for the right reasons, which is like, I'm not committing my life to you in high school. Right. Right. But she's also doing it for the wrong reasons, which is like, I'm Christian, you're Jewish, and that's not going to work out. Well, she also just has her whole other life too. Of course. Know. And she has, she got accepted in like Texas. A&M she's or going something. to Texas to go to college. Good for you, girl. Yeah. Like but you the, don't need to follow some dude to Hollywood. Of course. But also like saying like it was going to end eventually this, there's no future for us because you're Jewish is like, that's bad. Uh, yes. Sure. So, you know, it, it's, it's not a, like simple cut and dry, you know, statement of her. But I don't think that she's goodness saying, or, or her badness or whatever. Yeah. I think it's it's incredibly well done. Like I don't think it's a yeah. I don't think it's a matter of like her being good or bad. I think that there's probably from both sides of it, right? It's just yeah. like two two completely different like worlds where those things yeah. mean very much to their families and their and and their communities. That's like right. there's but, just not really a way to reconcile that without somebody changing something big uh, of course and but to, but from the perspective of the person making the film right think about how he casts this right she is presented as taking this like fairly easily right she's like i knew this was going to come to an end it was a nice moment or a nice time in our lives we're we're seeing this but he takes it very deeply and very intensely as a as a uh like 
in in similar to the way that his mother might, right? Mm. So it, it goes back to the way he responds, speaking to who he is as a person in relation to his family dynamic. And like, so everything still folds back into that part of the movie, which I thought was brilliant. Right. And it's like, she, of course, made the right decision. Like, you got into college, go to college. Don't tie yourself to a high school kid. He goes on to admit later on, he's like, somewhat stupidly, I asked her to marry me. Well, and yeah, and yeah. I think that like, the, so the, my only point with her is that I think that she says it in such a matter of fact way of yeah. like this, of course this was never going to work out. Like yeah. that, it was like, I thought we sort of knew that. And yeah. it's not a, you're bad, I'm good. You're a yes. heathen and I'm pious, right? It's yeah. just a, th- oh, this is just not what, of course. Th- this is not going to be the thing that we yeah. were both going to do. Um, but, but Spielberg is so good at empathy right. that you feel so deeply for Sammy in that moment. I, you know, I think that my, I, I can see feeling deeply for Sammy in that moment, but I think that my um, cynical adult side came out okay. where I'm just like, Oh, darling. Girl, you got to go. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. first of all, girl, good for you. Yeah. Go to Texas. Go meet your husband and whatever. That's fine. But uh, also, uh, Sammy. Yeah. This is just the first girl that let you touch her boobies. Yeah. And you're going through other emotional things. Yeah. And Don't you lock are, in. you're just... mixing all of that in together and you think you have this thing of this ball of feelings for her. And it's, it's a whole other set of feelings yeah. that you are just transforming into yeah. all of your feelings for her. Yep. Yep. It's true. Very true. Yeah. Um, there is one other major thing. So he, they, they break up at the dance. Um, he, he is then in the hallway by himself, mm-hmm. sitting against the locker, head in hands. When, the big bully, the big strong volleyball guy comes mm-hmm. out to confront him. And uh, I was like, why'd you do that? Because he made him like the star of the the movie that he made. And he's like, now people think I'm this thing that I'm not. Like he's basically exposing his own insecurities to the director right. of this movie. Um, and he's like, he's like, that's not what I meant. I was trying to make it so that you looked like good. I was trying to make it so that it, it came across as like you being... Like the the star of the campus because that's who you're pretending to be. Is like that's for not what like I meant. two minutes that you would be nice to me. Yeah, right? yeah, that's right. For I was just hoping that for two minutes you would be nice to me. And uh, he's like, so when the the guy confronts me, he says that's that's what you did. And and Sammy says that's not what I meant. He says, who cares what you meant? And it is such a in like an introspection of the director's purpose, right? Because once you make a film. It's no longer yours. Like you put it out in the world, it's interpreted by the people who see it. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter what you meant by it. It's what they take away from it. And it's so interesting to see that portray that statement. Very simply moved on quickly from, but like I, I it, it resonated with me. Um, like it doesn't matter what you intended with the work of art that you created. It matters the interpretation of it. Yeah. Yeah. Although he also did definitely intend to make that other kid look like a fool. Oh, the the one, yeah, the, the the psycho. Yes, the psycho kid for sure. Which was a dumb move because he will stab you. Right, right. Again, I just I'm like, did this happen? Yeah. Did you ever have a a talk with your with your bully where you two had a you know came to a resolution? Yeah. yeah. So good question. We don't know. Yeah. Um the the high school portion of this uh, is not well delved into by. Uh, any of the commentary about like what's real, what's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think partially the reason for that is because he waited to make this movie 
until both of his parents were dead. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, almost certainly both of his parents are, are dead yeah. at this point because I don't know that either of them would want to be alive to have this story yeah. told and have to like answer questions about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so his mother was very outgoing as portrayed in the film. Right. Uh, and his father was a very reserved individual. And his father died at 103. His mother died at 97. Steven had to wait so long to I make know, this movie. I know. <laughs> And so, I mean, like, literally, when they died, like, production on this movie started, like... He would dust it off the old screenplay that he wrote. Here we go, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) When was the... I really went... Like, oh, when did he write the first version? I don't know. The first draft. Great question. So, he he wrote it with a guy by the name of Tony Kushner, who he also wrote uh, several other things with, like, Munich and Lincoln. Tony Kushner was nominated for uh, Best uh, Adapted Screenplay for... Lincoln and from Munich, he's nominated mm-hmm. for this film as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a good collaborator with, with Spielberg. And he says like, yeah, he, he needed someone to bounce this off of because like, you can't just write about your own life and assume everything is interesting. Right. So it's like, it was nice for him to be like, yeah, this part, don't, don't say that. Don't I imagine a young Steven Spielberg using this script as his diary and just like getting it all out there, having it adding to it collectively, like, you know, over the years as he like recollects things or thinks that he wants to add things. And then just taking this like uh, tome and laying it at the desk of, of, uh, this Kushner gentleman and being like, okay, (laughs) we gotta, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are a couple of scenes to close out one with his mother, one with his father, Mm. where he's sort of like closing the, the, the thread with him a little bit Mm -hmm. as he's moving on to college or he's in college and he hates it. So he's just like trying to figure out what to do. Um, And I believe it was with his mother. His mother says, you don't owe anyone your life, not even me. Right. I thought that was beautiful. Um, And then he says to his dad, he's like, dad, I don't want to be in school anymore. Like I want to be a filmmaker and that's it. You yeah, know? he he hates it, and it's just yeah. this is him trying to convince his father that the thing that he wants to do is worth doing. Yeah, even if it's not the thing that his father does or values or values. Yeah, yeah. and 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 so at the end of that scene, his father comes over to him. And he says, "Do what you want to do, mm. and I know that the thing that you got from me may not be the interest in math or the interest in science or engineering." But it is the fact that whatever you do, you will do it with all of yourself. You will you will bring everything to it and be the best you can be at that thing. Right. And that's that's why we are the same. Even though we're very different. Right. Right. That's where we're the same. And and so from there, we get the last scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. Which is in a Hollywood uh, so like good, studio such a lot. good scene. Yes, the the movie closes out where he somehow wrote a letter to uh, some studio saying, "I'd love to talk to you about an internship or something." I think he was writing letters to all the studios. He wrote, yes, he wrote a uh, hundred letters or whatever. And they one finally replied. One finally replied, brought him in. He didn't know who it was, what he was expected to do. Starts talking to somebody who is in TV, and he's like, "The guy's like, yeah, I do TV, and I don't know that I have anything for you, but do you want to meet the man?" And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, come on over. We'll, we'll, we'll get you in there. Sits down next to the secretary. He's like, all right, well, he could be back anytime, maybe three hours from now. Who knows? Just sit here. And in walks this old head Hollywood director covered in lipstick. 
Right. It felt like whatever um, Get Shorty was referencing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, just like old timey Hollywood yep. office with just big movie posters of things and projects that you've done mm-hmm. in the past and cigar- cigars or whatever. Yep. And as he's sitting there in the chair waiting, first of all, the walls have nothing on them uh, when he first sits down. Mm-hmm. But then he starts to look around and the walls are filled up with posters. Mm-hmm. And it's things like The Searchers. Um, one of them was a movie that he had seen earlier in uh, the Fablemans, and so mm-hmm. um, that was that showed up. And oh god, it was like John Wayne and uh, Jimmy Stewart. I forget the name of the film, but uh, turns out the director who's in there that mm-hmm. just walked in, covered in smoochy faces, yeah, and uh, you know that he's now going to meet is John Ford, famous Academy Award winning director of westerns and and other films that were. Like the gold standard in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. This really happened to Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and he says he didn't change a single thing from his actual meeting. Um, so it says, um, Spielberg said at the Toronto International Film Festival that the meeting with John Ford where he was 15 occurred just as as it appears in the film. Word for word, nothing more, nothing less. Including the kissing marks covered covering Ford's face. And the lecture he gives about the placement of the horizon in several pictures on his wall. So John Ford walks in and and says, you know, follow me, kid. Uh, Sammy walks in there and says, not much of anything. In fact, is a little bit starstruck. Right. And John Ford basically, played by director David Lynch, by the way, Mm -hmm. the wonderful David Lynch, um, says like, okay, look at that picture on the wall. Tell me what you see. And he starts describing the picture. He's like, where is the horizon? He's like, it's at the bottom. He's like, now go to that picture. Describe what you see. And he starts talking about the, the picture. He's like, no, where is the horizon? He's like, it's at the top. He's like, if the horizon is at the bottom of the film, it's exciting. If it's at the top of the film, it's exciting. If it's in the middle, it's boring. Now get out of here. <laughs> and that's it? Yep. Yep. He goes, goes outside, sits on the curb, thinks about it. Walks off and starts walking down the studio. And then... Yeah, I was going to say, do you remember the last shot? And and so the he he's walking and the horizon is in the middle. And then all of a sudden the camera adjusts and the horizon is uh, at the bottom. Yep. So and uh, it's interesting. It's just a little metatextual element where the film acknowledges itself mm-hmm. as a film and says... I am Steven Spielberg. I had this experience with John Ford. It is still in my mind. And as the director of the film you're watching, even though you're watching the uh, fictionalized version of me walk away to the distance with the horizon in the middle, I am internal. I have internalized that thing that John Ford told me. And I, in camera, move the camera up in that moment. Like, notice, not like a pan. It's not like, or a tilt. Oh, no. It's not, it is a, the camera shakes and moves to that position. Right. It is a touch of brilliance uh, on the end of a very lovely movie. There are several moments in this film that I think really just tickled you as a, both a film yes. like uh, maker and, and, and lover. Yeah. Uh, so it was enjoyable to watch this with you, I think. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit, but I, not nearly as much as you did, um, only because you enjoyed it so much. Yeah, yeah. It, it hit me on like every level I would expect a movie to right. to do. So um, so yeah, uh, five stars. Thumbs up for me. <laughs> Recommend. Everyone watch it. It's great. Uh, Steven Spielberg is 
like still the man, man. The man. Like I don't know what to say. Still got it. He uh I he the man can make a movie. Yeah. You know? And I think that was what I was expecting heading into this. What I had heard from people is uh yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's good. It's well done. It is a it is a well crafted piece of art by a master in his field and uh at the top of his game and just does a, a fantastic job. Is it um flashy and like whatever, like like ET or you know, is it something that like I think is gonna draw huge box offices, you know, huge numbers at the box office? Yeah, I got a very limited release. Yeah, so I'm like, I guess I'm my guess is probably not because it's just it doesn't have the thing that makes it appealing to to children and to teens and and you know what I'm saying? Sure. But it is it is just a very well done film that uh that is absolutely enjoyable. I I definitely recommend it to people. Yeah. Um it's a it's a lovely film, well done, easy watch. Second movie in a row where they have a dance scene in a high school. Oh, sure. West Side Story was the previous. Oh, I thought you were, I was like, what dancing was in Elvis? Oh, well, I mean, maybe, no, no, no not us, <laughs> Spielberg. Yeah. Gotcha. I was trying to, to earlier in, in the day, it was like, can I do all of Spielberg's, uh, like, directorial films in order? Mm. Like, how far can I get? And I can get pretty far. I can at least get to the 90s. Are you going to test me? Yes, I am. Give me just one moment to... Pull this up. He has 58. Yeah. Uh, so we're not counting TV movies and we're not counting things where he was like part of an anthology. So no Twilight Zone, no Amazing Stories. Okay. Well, uh, there's a lot of stuff that is like shorts and a lot of stuff that um, is also TV. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're not we're doing gonna, TV movies. Oh. So we're not doing dual. All right. We'll, so, we'll so where are we Sugar starting? Express. Right? Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, after that is Jaws. Okay. After that is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes. After that is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ooh. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, uh, Close Encounters. and Oh, uh, 1941. Yes. Sorry. Then Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh-huh. Then I think we're doing E.T. Yes. Okay. And then it's Temple of Doom. One in between. Okay. So we're talking about... It's not the color purple yet. I don't know. What is it? Twilight Zone, the movie. I, I said not anthologies. Oh, t- I didn't yeah. realize that was an anthology. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Well, then, yes. Uh, Temple of Doom. Okay. And then after Temple of Doom is the color purple. Yes. After that is Empire of the Sun. Uh, yes. Wait, Af- is... Uh... Amazing Stories doesn't count. Okay. After that is Last Crusade. Yes. Okay. After that is... Oh, gosh. what? Can you give me a year? 89. I, I will say it's one that I had not heard of. Is it always? Yeah. Fuck. Okay. After that is, this is where I get confused because that was, that movie throws me off. Mm. Um, I mean, this is was, where we started to run. If that was 89, mm. uh, now we're going like what, 91? Yeah. Okay. So last crusade? No, last crusade. You already eight, said last I, crusade. I, yeah, I see. Okay. Um, is it Amistad? No. What is it? Hook. Hook, that's right. Okay, okay. Hook, and then Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. and the same year was Schindler's List. Yeah, which what? is wild that he put those two movies out in the same year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then was Amistad. Yeah. Then was Jurassic Park Two. 
the lost whatever nope um okay almastad was the same year as something uh oh wait yes yes it was uh, well so it was the same year as lost world as lost world okay okay and then we get into his uh mid 90s so we're talking about saving private ryan uh-huh okay and I don't know. I, that's where I lose it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the Kubrick. Uh, oh, AI. Yeah. Okay. And then, then it's like Minority Report. Yes. Catch Me If You Can. Yes. Um, uh, after Catch Me If You Can is, I don't know. The Terminal. The Terminal, which is terrible. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, that's where then, I lose it. And then we have War of the Worlds, Munich. Munich. Yep. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, Bridge of Spies. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. You just said something and my entire face just turned into a mushroom. <laughs> Adventures of Tintin. Okay. Warhorse. Lincoln. Bridge of Spies. Okay. Yeah. The BFG. The Post. Ready Player One. Yeah, which I've never seen. No, and then West Side Story. Okay. So, yeah, I can get early Spielberg pretty decent. And then a lot of his newer stuff where he like, he won the Oscar for Schindler's List. And then he was like, I'm doing whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, good job, darling. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and for everyone listening at home, if we keep this in, uh, he did that without looking at anything. That's true. Yes. Not, not a single thing except for the inside of my eyelids where I've written everything down. Mm-hmm. Just like that Just girl did big... in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> Just a, a, a huge Spielberg fan over here. Yeah. So... Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoy the Oscars. They, yeah. uh, this comes out on Saturday. The Oscars are on Sunday. So enjoy. Watch it. And uh, love movies. I love movies. That's right. And uh, here's to everything, everywhere, all at once. Yay. Uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, please follow our newsletter. Next week, we'll be doing the movie Megan. And I'll be writing a newsletter about uh, horror movies and the state of horror in the industry with our special guest who I interviewed for that. Uh, my good friend and former classmate, Laura Moss. All right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, uh, really quickly, though, also, I just want to say one more film that I do hope that wins, which is for short animated film, which is called My Year of Dicks. <laughs> and it's, I don't, I don't, it, it, it might win. It's looking like a, a, a four, uh, forefront. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, just, just had to throw that in there, uh, purely based off of the title. Sure. Yeah. You got. So, you, yeah, got you know where you know where my head is at in like how I choose movies yeah. for what I think is going to win. Funny title. Let's do it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Bye everybody. Bye everybody. <laughs>